today we want to think about very well-known and yet perhaps somewhat misunderstood passage of the Bible, the Good Samaritan story. By the way, as we go through the scripture, which is found in Luke chapter 10, it's interesting that it is not called a parable. Now, often people think that it was a parable that Jesus taught about the Good Samaritan, but it's not called that. So I'm not sure whether it was a parable or whether it actually happened. The way Jesus presents it, it sounds like it really happened. But whatever you think, still the teaching and truth is there for us all. Let's look here in Luke chapter 10, begins in verse 25. And often people think of the Good Samaritan by itself, but by beginning in verse 25, we put it into the context why Jesus told that story. And look, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? That's a question that has often crossed people's minds and hearts. What should I do? He said to him, What is written in the law? meaning the Old Testament law. How do you read? And he answering said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You've answered correctly. Do this, and you shall live. Before I became a Christian, the person that helped me the most to become a Christian tried to help me understand that I, along with everybody, had sinned. Now, thinking myself to be a moral person and a good person that was hard to get through. She actually quoted this to me about loving God with all your heart and mind and soul and strength. And I told her that I try to do that. In my mind, I figured as long as I try to do it, that's all we can do. So it's okay. But notice Jesus did not say, you shall try to love the Lord your God with all your mind and heart and soul and strength. He said, you shall do it. <laughs> so that went over my head. I didn't really understand the truth and what she was trying to help me know. But notice how Jesus came back to the lawyer, do this and you shall live. Who could really do it 100% all the time? Nobody. I couldn't, even though I thought trying was enough. It's not enough. 
command is not to try, but to do. So what did the lawyer do? Verse 29, but he, willing to justify himself, see, I was justifying myself thinking that trying was enough. He had another attack here, but he was trying to say it's okay, trying to justify himself, and that, of course, is what we do. We rationalize, we make excuses, we interpret. <laughs> So this is what he's doing. He's trying to rationalize, trying to justify himself. So he said to Jesus, who's my neighbor? <laughs> you see, the second great commandment was love your neighbor as yourself. Now he's going to quibble on semantics. Who's my neighbor? Now that's question to which Jesus responded with the Good Samaritan story. And Jesus answering said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. If you know your topography, Jerusalem's way up and Jericho's way down by the Dead Sea. And he fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing and wounded him and departing, leaving him half dead, practically killed the guy. And by chance, there came down a certain priest that way. When he saw him, what did he do? He go over and help him? <laughs> Said he passed by on the other side. <laughs> he didn't even get close to him. He tried to avoid him. And likewise, a Levite, when he was at the place, he came and he looked at him. Both of them saw him. And he passed by on the other side. Well, these were religious people. The first one, the priest, you might compare with a pastor. The second one, a Levite, you might compare with a deacon, a leader in the church. Both of them saw him. Neither of them did anything about it except avoid him. But, Jesus said, verse 33, a certain Samaritan, well, that's significant. Samaritan was one of those people that Jews had no dealings with. The lady from Samaria pointed that out to Jesus in John 4, 9. Jews and Samaritans don't deal with each other. They avoided each other. Sometimes, as I mentioned before, Jews would even cross over the Jordan River to the east side in order to avoid going through Samaria. They wanted to avoid the Samaritans. Samaritans were part Jewish and part Gentile. But notice the hero of the story that Jesus tells here turns out to be one of these Samaritans, a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, he came to where he was. That is, the man that had been robbed and harmed. He came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. Now, I think that's extremely significant. 
Evidently, the priest didn't care, had no compassion. Evidently, the Levite did not care, had no compassion. But this Levite, I mean, rather this Samaritan, whom you would expect to pass by and have nothing to do with this person, he had compassion. He cared. That's so important, isn't it? That we have love in our hearts. That we care for everybody. Well, he had compassion on him. And he went to him. So he saw him and he didn't go on the other side. He went to him. And he bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, like medicine. Set him on his own animal, probably a donkey, and brought him to an inn, no doubt down in Jericho, and took care of him. So this <laughs> Samaritan really, out of love, helped this man. He took him from where he was. He was like the ambulance. Took him down to the inn where he was going to stay. And then he didn't just leave him there. He helped him. Did what he could. Now, I don't think he was a paramedic. <laughs> but he did what he could. He took care of him. Why? Because he had compassion on him. Because he cared. And on the next day, when he left, he took out two pence. A pence is basically one day's wages. So like a couple days wages. What would that be today? Depends. Maybe $100, maybe $200. So he took out these two days wages, these two pence, and he gave them to the host to the guy from the inn there. And he said to him, take care of it. And whatever you spend in addition, when I come back again, I will repay you. Not only did he personally help him, he gave him money to be helped. And then he said, when I come back, if it's going to cost more, I'll pay you more. Now Jesus asked the lawyer a question here. Remember the lawyer said, who's my neighbor? Jesus kind of turns it around a little bit. Verse 36. Which now of these three, the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan, which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? Who's my neighbor? To whom will you be a neighbor? <laughs> so he asked him this question and he said he that showed mercy on him well that was a good answer that was true and here's the key thing then Jesus said to him you go and do likewise <laughs> both of these situations both of these answers of Jesus should have helped him realize his need for forgiveness. The fact that he could never live up to God's high and holy standards. 
I think the Good Samaritan story encourages each of us to be a caring person and to try to help people. But by the same token, it also shows us not only the story, but the great commandment and then the next important one, loving your neighbor as yourself. Not only do they show us our inability to fully do these things, but they are an example that we should try <laughs> and thank God that we can come to Him for forgiveness where we fail. Here's the thing, people try really hard, many do, to justify themselves like the lawyer did. And so he tried to work with definitions, who's my neighbor and what have you. But Jesus was trying to help him realize the true standards are so high you can never get there. And that's true for each and every one of us. There's a passage that reminds me a little bit of this over in the book of John. John chapter 6, after the feeding of the 5,000, in verse 28, they said to him, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? Remember the lawyer had earlier asked, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? We tend to think we can do it on our own. But Jesus points them and us in the right direction in his answer, verse 29, John 6, 29. Jesus answered, he said to them, this is the work of God, that you believe on him, on Jesus, whom he has sent. The work of God is for you to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Where we fail, you see, he can forgive. Where we sin, he can give us remission of sins. He's the Son of God and the Savior. During Jesus' earthly ministry, at one point, he asked them, who do you say that I am? And Peter, who often spoke out, said, you're the Son of the living God. You're the Christ. You're the Messiah. Was Peter correct? Yes, he was, wasn't he? Jesus is the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Son of God. I think of John 3.16, beautifully expressed in the first song that we sang, really highlighted this truth. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son so that whoever trusts, believes, relies on him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's also indicated in the preceding verse, John 3.15. Then in verse 18, he who believes on the Son has life. He who believes not the Son shall not have life. The wrath of God is upon him. Basically, that's what it's telling us there and elsewhere. And yet, people try so hard, do they not, to justify themselves. 
Sometimes people, in trying to justify themselves, will go to great lengths. Not only will they do a lot of good works, maybe out of love, maybe out of simply self-interest, trying to gain their way and earn their way into heaven, get forgiveness of sin. Sometimes they go to extremes of severe fasting, sometimes other ways of even mutilating, harming their own body, whipping, going on their knees for miles, cutting, all attempts to justify themselves. But what was Jesus trying to teach this lawyer? What was he trying to teach the people? What did he try to teach us? It's impossible. We can't do it. We need a Savior. We need God's Son, the Messiah, who died for our sins and came alive again. So that's the main thing we learn from this, this incident of this lawyer and Jesus. This Good Samaritan story that Jesus told, which as I indicated may actually be something that literally happened or maybe it's a parable. Whatever it is, it teaches us something. It teaches us like the lawyer, we cannot justify ourselves. Like I needed to learn that I needed a Savior, I needed forgiveness of my sins. And that's so important, as you know, that normally once a month we have communion service. And during the communion service, we have the representations of the body and blood of the Savior, the Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. There are different places in the Bible that fortify what we're talking about today. I'd like to share two of them with you. One is very well known, the other not so well known, but both of them very clearly teach what we're talking about. Perhaps you've been thinking about one of these. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Remember this was written under inspiration by the Apostle Paul to a church in Ephesus, a very important church, one which was very much consisting of Gentile, non-Jewish people who believed. In Ephesians chapter 2, after he speaks about our being dead in sins, verse 5, and being made alive together with Christ, he says, by grace, you are saved. And that leads us into these well-known verses. And he has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. And here it is. For by grace you are saved through faith, not that not from yourselves, but it's the gift of God, not a result of works, our good works, lest any man should boast. That's very clear, isn't it? We're saved by grace, 
through faith. And that's a gift, a gift from God to us. How could God have reached me and brought me to that place? On one other occasion, I think I mentioned how a friend of mine, before I became a Christian, who himself was a Christian, asked me what I thought about this idea of being saved by grace and not by works, being saved by works. So what did I think about? Was I saved by works or by grace? Well, that was very foreign to my understanding. And so I responded as probably all non-Christians would respond. Basically, I po pointed out, well, I didn't think what was important, what you believed. I, it's how you live. That's what counted. But I didn't have the message that Jesus was trying to teach the lawyer. My friend early at one point was trying to teach me or what the scripture very clearly reveals. Grace is something we don't deserve. God gives us something. It's a gift. He brought me to the point of having faith. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I hope every one of us has that faith where we're no longer depending on our own goodness, our morality, our good works, but instead we acknowledge that we can never make it on our own. It's impossible to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps to heaven. Instead, we must rely on the Savior who did the work who died for our sins, who rose from the dead, who forgives 100% and offers to God righteousness on our behalf. When we believe in Jesus, his righteousness is put upon us, and our sin has been put upon him. So what a beautiful and well-known passage this is. By grace you are saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God not from works, lest anyone should boast. None of us can pat ourselves on the back and say, look, God, I made it. I'm so good. I earned it. We can't say that. It doesn't work that way. Jesus is the Savior. He's the righteous one. But what about this business of works? Often what people know is verses 8 and 9. Is Paul saying works aren't important at all, therefore? Lest we come to that incorrect conclusion, he tells us about works in the next verse. So anytime we think of verses 8 and 9, I think we should also think of verse 10. Verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship. See, he's talking about the person who has faith, the person who has received God's gift the person who depends on the Lord Jesus Christ for forgiveness. We're his workmanship. You see, when we've done that, God does a work in us, and we're born again, and we become new creatures in Christ. We're different. I was different. We are his workmanship. He's done something. And we're created in Christ Jesus. There's the change. Any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. But what does it go on to say? We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. 
So we're not saved by good works or anything else we can do. We're saved unto or for the purpose of good works. Puts a whole new light on things, doesn't it? And out of God's love, we are to care. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works. But it doesn't stop there. It says, God has before ordained this, that we should walk in them. In other words, from eternity past, that's God's plan and purpose for the Christian. Not saved by works, but saved for the purpose of good works, to live a new life, to live a life of service, a life of helping people, a life of truly caring about people. Now before I bring up the second passage, which is found in Titus, I'd like to mention a couple other places in Scripture that I think ought to be thought of too when we're thinking about the Good Samaritan story and about loving God with all our hearts and minds and soul and strengths. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 27. Withhold not good from them to whom it is due, when it is in the power of your hand to do. From them to whom it is due. And if evidently the man that had been beat up was a man to whom it was due. And the man, the Samaritan, had the ability to help him, and he did. And the other place in the scripture is kind of shocking. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10. Second Thessalonians 3.10. For even when we were with you, we commanded you that if any would not work, neither should he eat. So he's saying if there is someone who says he's a Christian and he refuses to work, he's able to work, he can work, but he says, no, I'm not going to work. And he explains that a little bit, why some of the people apparently were saying that. But he says if you say that and you refuse to work when you can, don't let them eat. <laughs> so the Bible teaches us we should be people who are willing to work and not just feel that everybody owes us a living. <laughs> so these are a couple of things I think need to kind of be brought into the mix here as we think especially about the Good Samaritan story. Now the other passage, Book of Titus, we find in Titus chapter 3, beginning in verse 5. This is the passage not quite as well known as Ephesians 2, but it's basically saying the same thing. And there are other places too that deal with this. 3 beginning with verse 5 of Titus. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. 
So it tells us very clearly, it's not our good works that save us. It's God's mercy, His grace, His love. By the washing of regeneration makes us into new people. And renewing of the Holy Spirit, He gives God's people His Holy Spirit, which is shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. We need the Savior. And through Him we get forgiveness, not by our own good works. Through Him we get forgiveness and become God's children. And then it says it clearly here in verse 7, that being justified by His grace, remember that means unmerited favor, we don't deserve it. We should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So it's saying basically the same thing, is it not, that we saw back in Ephesians chapter 2. But Ephesians 2, remember in verse 10, it went on a step further, said we're created in Christ unto good works. Well, this comes back to the idea of good works too in verse 8. But this is a dependable saying, and these things I will, I want, that you should affirm constantly, keep talking about it, that they who have believed in God, you Christians, might be anxious to maintain what? Good works. So, we aren't to forget about good works. We're not to say they're not valuable. They're very valuable. And so, he doesn't want them to come to the wrong conclusion. Once we're saved, we're just scot-free and don't have to do a thing. No, God expects us to live for him, to be his hands, his feet, his mouth, to represent him as his light in a dying and dark world. It's a dependable saying, you can count on it, as he says here in Titus 3, that you affirm constantly that they who have believed in God might be anxious to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to them. <laughs> so it's worthwhile for us to live in this fashion. And so you see the Good Samaritan story, putting it into the context of why Jesus told it, deals with this whole issue of justification by faith. Justified by believing in Jesus. And as I said, of course, this is found in many other places in Scripture, as in Romans chapter 5, Romans 8, elsewhere as well. May this encourage us to fully trust the Lord, to let His love be in us, to discern what He wants us to do, representing Him in a lost and dying world. May we pray together. Thank you, Lord, for this incident in the life of Jesus. Thank you how that even though the lawyer tried to justify himself, he was unsuccessful in doing so. And that these things bring us to trust in Jesus. We know that whatever the law says, it 
says to them who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. We praise you and thank you, and Lord, we would commit now ourselves to you. We would dedicate our bodies, our minds, our lives to walk in your ways, to live in your love, to be involved in good works, not to be saved, but because we are new creatures in Christ. Not only is this profitable, Lord, for us, but it honors you. That's why we're here, to honor you, to glorify you. In Jesus' wonderful name, our Lord and Savior, our Messiah, Son of God, we pray and give thanks.